Well, this morning we continue our study from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I suppose if we wished, we could subtitle this letter, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Because that is the essence of what Paul is saying to us. That he wants us to be happy in Christ, that he wants us to have the joy of Christ. I heard about a man named Oscar who was 82 years old. He had gone to the doctor for his annual physical, and it was two, three weeks later that the doctor happened to be downtown and saw Oscar. Oscar had a big smile on his face, spring in his step, and a very pretty young lady by his side. The doctor said, uh, Oscar, you're looking great. What have you been doing? He said, I've been doing what you told me to do. The doctor said, and what was that? He said, well, you told me to, to get a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor said, that, that's, that's not what I told you, Oscar. He said, well, what did you tell me? I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> well, we all have things about which we can worry. There are health issues that concern us. You probably have already checked your toothpaste to make sure it didn't come from China. And then there are financial issues. What are we going to do? Do we stay in the market? Do we put it in bonds and CDs? What, what's the market going to do? And so we worry about that. And then, of course, there is the threat of terrorism. And if you're a student, there is the, the threat of your test. Am I going to pass the test? Am I going to do all right in, in school? I, I, another story, I heard about a, a class in, in a university. They were studying ornithology, the study of birds. And, and uh, the professor of this class was known as the hardest professor in the university. And so the students really studied. They, they studied. But then it came time for the final exam, and they crammed for that final exam. I mean, they studied the migratory patterns of the birds. They studied where they came from and so forth. They, they really studied their birds. Well, when they went in to take their test, there were five cages sitting there on a table, mostly covered. All you could see was the feet and the legs of the birds. And the professor came in and said, now, your test is that you identify the birds by just looking at their legs and feet. Well, the students didn't know what to do. They had really studied, but they didn't know how they were going to answer that question. And so after a while, there was one student stood up and, and said, this is the stupidest test I've ever been given. And you are the sorriest professor in this university. And the professor said, young man, what is your name? And he turned to walk out. And the professor cried out again, I demand to know your name. The young man turned around, pulled up his pants legs and said, you tell me. <laughs> well, if there was anyone who had a reason to worry, to be unhappy, it had to be the Apostle Paul. First of all, there were, there were his personal circumstances. He spent most of his ministry in prison. As a matter of fact, he was in prison when he wrote this letter. And then there was the care of the churches. The Corinthian church was divided. The Galatian church had a theological issue. Were they going to continue in grace or were they going to turn back to works? And yet Paul wrote this wonderful, encouraging letter 
saying to us, I want you to be joyful in Christ. In chapter number 1, you recall, he said that sometimes circumstances can take away our joy. And we overcome that with a single mind. In chapter number 2, he says that people can take away our joy. And we overcome that with a submissive mind. In chapter number 3, he said that, that uh, sometimes it is not the circumstances of life that take our joy. It is not necessarily the people who take our joy, but our commitment to things. The things of life, accumulating things can take our joy. And so he says the solution is a spiritual mind. And today in chapter number 4, he comes to deal with the subject of worry. Take your Bibles, look with me please. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown... So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. You can tell how his heart is extended to these people. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, I believe to be happy or to conquer worry in one's life, there are several areas in which we must be right. First of all, he says that we are to be right in our relationships. Now, there were two women in the church in Philippi who were at odds with each other. And so Paul addresses them in verse number 2. I urge you, Odie, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, we don't know anything else about these women. This is all that we know. And we do not know the reason for their disagreement. This is all we know. But Paul says to them, I want you to live in harmony. I want you to be united. Why? Well, because, ladies and gentlemen, when the church is divided, when the church is not in harmony, then the church is weakened. You see, that was the problem with the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was badly divided. They were divided over leadership. They were divided over spiritual gifts. They were divided over a number of issues. And as a result of it, though they had all the spiritual gifts at work, they nevertheless were weakened because they were not united. So when the church then is not in harmony, it is weakened when we are in harmony, then there's incredible strength in the church. In fact, I, I really believe in my heart 
that if the church of the Lord Jesus were united in spirit, that we could lead this world of faith in Christ. I think if we could put aside some of our differences in the church at large, that we could evangelize our world because of the strength that is in the church when we are united. So Paul says, I want you to be in agreement, live in harmony, and then help each other in verse number 3. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, when there is division within the church, our position is not to take sides. Our position is to reconcile. And that's the reason that the deacons came into existence. You recall in the book of Acts in chapter number 6, when there was a division within the New Testament church between this group of widows and this group of widows, one group felt that they were being neglected. And so the deacons came into existence that they might reconcile the division. Do you understand the church in those terms? When there is a lack of unity, the church is weakened. And when there is disagreement, our position as Christians is to reconcile, not to take sides. So he says you've got to be right in your relationships. If you're going to be happy, if you're going to conquer worry in your life, you have to be right in your relationships. Secondly, he says, we are to be right in our praying. Verse number 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, much of our anxiety is eliminated in prayer. Albert Barnes wrote, the word used here does not mean that we are to exercise no care about worldly matters. It does not mean at all that we are not to be concerned. It does not mean that we are not to care about what is going on in the world. He, con- he continues, but that there is to be such confidence in God as to free the mind from anxiety. That I have such confidence in God that it frees my mind from anxiety. So what do we do? He says that we are to pray. Now you'll notice in verse number six, three different words there. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now, when he, he uses those three words about our prayer, the first word prayer is the general word for prayer. When we pray, it, it begins with adoration. We begin to adore God. So When you begin to have anxious feelings and thoughts, rather than panic, begin to adore God. God, you're omnipresent, which means you're right here with me. No matter what I'm going through, no matter where I am, God, you are right here with me. You're omnipresent. Lord, you are omniscient. You know everything. There's nothing that you don't know. Lord, you're omnipotent. You have all power to meet my need. So, when we begin to become anxious and begin to lose our joy, he says then we 
pray. So we adore the Lord. We have faith that He is able to meet our needs. And then we worship Him as the God of gods and Lord of lords. So he says, first of all, prayer. The second word is supplication. Barnes says the word rendered supplication is a stronger term than the former. It is the mode of prayer peculiarly which arises from the sense of need or want. So, as I pray, there is supplication. It means I begin to share my concerns. It means I begin to share my needs with God. God, here's what's bothering me. I begin to bring that to God. And then he says, Thanksgiving. So, I worship the Lord, I tell Him my problems, and I thank Him for meeting my needs. Did you know, folks, that a part of prayer is to express thanksgiving? You are familiar with the story about the ten lepers who came to Jesus and asked for healing. Jesus healed them. They went on their way. Then there was one who came back to say thank you. And Jesus said, I thought there were ten healed. Now, where are the nine? Where, where's everybody else? I thought there were ten healed. You see, he is saying that when we begin to feel anxious, that we come to the Lord in prayer, and then we express to him the concerns of our life, and then we thank him. God, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Those are the ingredients of prayer. Well, what is the object of prayer? What is proper to pray about? Well, certainly we would say those major issues are proper to pray about. Salvation of people. I prayed for my children to be saved all their lives, and they came to know the Lord. And then we had five grandchildren. Linda and I prayed for them to be saved. Now then, all five of them have professed faith in Christ. Sure, that's, that's a good thing to pray about, the salvation of, of those who are lost. Sickness, that's one of the things I appreciate about our deacons. They have begun this ministry. And uh, prior to the deacons meeting, those of our people who have serious issues come, and, and we have some deacons. That's going to be their ministry, and they pray for them. And uh, we had that in the last deacons meeting. And Jerry Wilson said he was in there. Jerry Wilson said that, that is uh, the, the, the most meaningful prayer time I've ever had. Pray. So, it, yes, it's right for us to pray about those major things, but what about minor issues, those things that really don't amount to much? Should we really bother God with those things? I know when my children were little that sometimes they would lose something. Maybe they're going to go to school and, and they've lost their book or they've lost something. And Linda uh, would say, well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us find it. So they would pray. But you know what happened? It taught our children... That all things are important to God. Not just the big things, but all things. In fact, you'll notice there in verse number 6 where he says, Be anxious for nothing, but what? In everything. Everything. Folks, let me tell you something. If it is of concern to you, it is of concern to God. If there is something that is bothering you and concerns you, it's an object for prayer. He said, in everything we pray. And then look at the results there in verse number 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he is saying then that the result of prayer is peace. It is peace. Ralph Herring wrote, the peace of God is not of a negative quality. It is not soft with compromise 
and appeasement toward the threat of Satan and all the minions of hell, it is as hard as nails. It is made up of the spikes of the cross and blood. He's talking about peace. It is the peace of superior might, the calmness of absolute adequacy. So here's what he says. When we pray, we receive the peace of God that guards our hearts, and so we lose our anxious feelings. When we pray, we receive the peace of God that guards our minds, that gives us positive thoughts. This is not positive thinking. This is praying. This is talking about God. So he is saying that we are to be right in our praying. Pray about everything. And as you pray, you receive his peace. Thirdly, we're to be right in our thinking. Verse number eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So we are to pray right and we are to think right. In fact, Isaiah said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Warren Wearsby wrote, No Christian can afford to waste mind power. No Christian can afford to waste mind power on thoughts that would tear him down or that would tear others down if these thoughts were shared. Well, what are we to think? He's talking about proper thinking. What are we to think? Whatever's true. Now, folks, that includes everything that is not false. We are to think about things that are true. We have a problem with that today because of political correctness. And oftentimes we cannot acknowledge truth. And there is a danger in that because it is counterproductive. To not acknowledge what is true is counterproductive. It affects us physically. Because if I am not living the truth, then I'm scared of being found out. And that affects me physically. It affects us emotionally. If I am not living a life of truth, then I'm apprehensive. It affects me spiritually. How in the world can I be right with God if I'm not living a life of truth? If my life is not true, then that is counterproductive. Not only is it counterproductive, but it also is useless because God already knows everything. Did you know that? I mean, sometimes we come to church and we do all of this stuff and try to pass ourselves off as being spiritual. Folks, let me tell you something. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. Because God knows the truth. So what do we think about whatever's true? Whatever is honorable and right? The word honorable that is used there speaks of grace. And we are to be gracious in our thinking. Let me ask you a question. I'll not expect a response from it, but just let me ask you. When you hear something negative about someone, do you immediately believe that it is true or do you give them the benefit of a doubt? Now, don't smile or anything or I'll think something. But I'm just curious. I want you to ask yourself that question. When I hear something bad about someone, do I immediately accept it as true or do I give them benefit of a doubt? Because as I understand this, what he is saying is we are to be gracious. 
And I think grace comes first. Now, you might find out later that it is true, but I believe that in the beginning it says something about me. And first of all, I think that I am to be gracious, honorable, right. The word right there speaks of being right with man, that I'm to be right with you. That I'm to think, in my thinking, I'm to be gracious to you and I'm to be right with you. And then he says, whatever is pure. In our thinking, whatever is pure. That means that our thoughts are to be pure, our words are to be pure, that our actions are to be pure. A lot of times when I'm praying and, and uh, I confess to the Lord, I say, God, forgive me for every impure thought. Forgive me for every impure word. Forgive me for every impure deed. Because God wants us to be pure. He wants us to be pure in our thinking, in our talking, and also in our actions. Whatever is lovely. The word lovely that is used there means winsome, pleasing, attractive. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be. Do you know that? As a person, as a Christian... Whatever is lovely, whatever is winsome, whatever is pleasing, whatever is attractive. Albert Barnes wrote, Nothing almost tends so much to injure the cause of religion as a temper always chafed and a disposition to find fault with everything. There are some people who just, I mean, they were born in the negative mood. I, I don't, they're just always negative, always critical. And that is contrary to what Paul is saying, that we are to live our life. I know some Christians, and I, if I didn't know better, I'd think they had been drinking the juice out of a sour, a sour pickle jar. I mean, that is always going around sour. No, that is not the Christian. He says, whatever is lovely, whatever is winsome, whatever is pleasing, whatever is attractive. It doesn't hurt you to smile. Good repute. And that means to be courteous. That's one of the things I have to say that I love about the South is that it is uh, a place where the people are courteous. Now, they'll almost kill you on the roads because they forget all about signs, but, but good repute. Excellence and worthy of praise. He says we're to be right in our thinking and then we're to be right in our living. Verse number 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, folks, when we're right on the inside, then we can be right on the outside. And verse number 9 is intriguing to me. It always has been. I've had some words here underlined for a long time. But you'll notice there in verse number 9, it says, the things that you have learned. We learn from God's Word what is true, things you've learned. And then he has a word, receive. It is one thing to learn something. It is something else to receive it. It is one thing to know something. It is something else to receive it into your life. And so Paul says those things that you have learned, you have learned the truth and received it. Now, I don't know that it does you a whole lot of good to learn something that you're not going to receive. And then he presents himself as an example. There are two other words that continue in that verse. And... Uh, Heard, Paul says, I have told you the truth. You've heard that from me. I have told you the truth. But then he says, and seen in me. In other words, Paul is saying, what you have heard me speak, you have seen me live. 
What I preached, I lived. In recent days, we've all been, all become familiar with uh, the professional wrestler Benoit. I did not know him. I'm, I'm not a uh, wrestling fan. I, I think Wayne is. Wayne is into that big time. But, so I don't know these people. But you know the story about him. One of the things that was intriguing to me, I was watching on the news and I saw the story. And he came into the ring. And here's the thing that captured my attention. There was someone in the audience holding up a sign that said, Number One Dad. And yet it is alleged that he killed his son. What you have heard and seen. See, that was one of the struggles I had when God called me to preach. I I didn't want my children to hear one thing on Sunday morning and see something else on Monday. What you have heard from me and you have seen in me. Now, there's a command he continues there. Practice these things. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, James says. So we hear the word, we receive the word, and we do the word. And here's the promise in verse number 9. And the God of peace shall be with you. He says the peace of God, in verse number 7, the peace of God guards you. And then in verse number 9, the God of peace guides you. Let me conclude. Folks, if you are to conquer worry in your life, if you're to live a life of happiness, real happiness, then you have to be right in your relationships. And that means my horizontal relationship, first of all, that I'm right with God, that I have been saved, and then my vertical relationship, right with my fellow man. And according to the Scripture, I cannot be right in my vertical relationship unless I'm right in my horizontal relationship. I can't be right with God, whom I have not seen, when I am not right with man, whom I have seen. So we're to be right in our relationships, right in our praying. And he says, when we are right in our praying, then we have the peace of God. And then right in our thinking, be careful what you allow into your mind. There was a man who spoke to Augustine once, and and he said, I have bad thoughts that come into my mind, and I, I I can't help it. They just come into my mind, Augustine very wisely said. Well, you can't keep the birds from flying overhead either, but you can keep them from building a nest on your head. We have bad thoughts. We have struggles there. But don't let them live with you. You can stop that. God offers you peace, but true peace and happiness is only found in Jesus. Folks, you will never, ever, ever, ever find real peace and happiness anywhere but in Christ. You'll not find it by being religious. You'll only find it in Jesus. Do you know Him? Because that's what Paul is writing about. He is writing a very positive letter to people he loves. And he is saying to them, I want you to have joy, but it only comes from Christ. Do you know him? Our gracious Father, I come today to lift up these to you. Lord, every one of us here wants peace. We want a life that is fulfilling and happy and joyful. And Lord, you have told us in your word that it only comes from Christ. 
I pray today, Father, for those who are without Jesus, that they might be saved. And Lord, I pray for those today who, who are looking for a church home. I, I hope they'll be, that they'll feel welcome here and be a part of this family if you're so leading them. But bless this invitation time. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. But this is an invitation for you to respond to God. If you're here without Christ, that you've come to receive Jesus. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to be your church home. Love to be your family. I hope you feel welcome here. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing, you come, I'll reach you, you do.